Mud Boots is brought to you by Institute for Educational Leadership. Welcome to Mud Boots. My name is Paul Reynolds, and I have the pleasure of journeying with you through the fields of education reform and innovation as we explore what whole child education is, where it came from, and how, after nearly a century of effort, how it's finally being implemented, even in district public schools. In our last episode, we had the pleasure of talking with Jonathan Raymond, former superintendent of Sacramento City Unified School District. Jonathan shared his keys to leading a whole child school system, specifically focusing on the challenges of balancing competing priorities in a high-stakes environment. This week, we'll be staying in Sacramento to speak to Dr. Stacy Bell-Alt, who served as Youth Development Director during Jonathan Raymond's tenure as superintendent. During her time there, Stacy's aim was to create spaces in which young people could become change agents for their own lives. This work included implementing expanded learning programs and summer initiatives to foster learning outside the classroom. Dr. Bell Alt currently serves as an assistant professor at Sacramento State University. Without further ado, let's hear from Stacy. Welcome, Stacy. Thanks for taking the time to put on your mud boots and go exploring with us. Stacy. where are you sitting right now? We're just to give people a, a sense. I'm sitting here in Boston at, at Fable Vision Studios, high atop the Boston Children's Museum. And where are you today? Hi, how are you? I am here at Sacramento State University in my new office. I am overlooking a courtyard that I can't see because I'm too high up, but I do see trees which Sacramento is the city of trees, if you didn't know. I did not know that. I learned something new every day. Here at Sac State, students have counted the number of trees, and I will not tell you how many because I will get it wrong, but there (laughs) are thousands of different types of trees here on this campus, apparently. That is very cool. And actually, that's a very organic way to connect with some of the work that we've been talking about in the Mud Boots podcast. As you know, Jonathan Raymond wrote the book Wildflowers, a school superintendent's challenge to America. And we we use that metaphor of plants and trees needing different things to grow and to thrive. Your title while working in the school district, Director of Youth Development, seems absolutely central to the whole child mission. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. And I think that working in the district at the time that I did or starting as youth development director during the time that I did really allowed us to explore what does that look like outside of the box with creativity and innovation and with a laser-like focus on improving outcomes. I, I'm just curious, Stacy. How is that title, Director of Youth Development? Is that a common title in a school district? I, and I apologize for not knowing that, but it seems to make absolute sense that you would have one. It was that unusual in the Sacramento City Unified School District. So the title wasn't unique necessarily, although I think districts call their quote-unquote youth development director different things. Oftentimes, we talk about student support services, 
or expanded learning director. I think what we were able to create in Sacramento was a department that became a little bit of all of the above. The scope of work within the department was definitely unique and expansive. You know, it's interesting that your your background is social work. And as we have seemed to hit upon on, on every episode so far our podcast, we we continually underscore that that learning is social work <laughs> and right. And that idea of of truly understanding what what does social mean and how big is that? How big is that that community, that system? So, again, I think your your work in social work helps underscore those ideas that learning is social and emotional. So we've we've actually heard about what whole child education means from other guests on the show, each talking to particular areas of the learning and development ecosystem. I, I'm just wondering if you could share how, how you see whole child education from where your work sits in that ecosystem. Absolutely. Well, let me read for you the vision and mission statement that that young people and community members created for the youth development department. And I think this speaks to what not just myself, but our entire community envisioned when we talked about whole child. So the, the vision for the work was all Sac City Unified School District youth will become change agents within their own lives and communities through positive and relevant school experiences, preparing them for college, career, and life success. And so for us, it was really elevating and creating space for young people to become the change agents that they already are, but are not always given space to do so, right? So I think that was the key for the work that we did was that, you know, whole child meant the child had to be in the center. Then the, the mission was keeping the whole child in mind. Youth development provides high quality programming and support in order to build capacity among Sac City Unified School District for students, families and community partners. We incorporate authentic youth voice and maintain an intentional focus on equity, relationship building and social justice. And so I think for us, whole child went beyond the notion that children, families, communities are drivers of change and really forced us, I would say community forced us to think about what does that mean for our most vulnerable students? What does that mean for students of color? What does that mean for English language learners? What does that mean for low-income students? And sometimes even beyond that, what does that mean for students who have experienced trauma? And how do we realize that while the school site or the traditional school day doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily, quote unquote, our responsibility, right, to be social workers for student body or community. It really is incumbent on us to create community hubs where families and students feel safe and community members 
are able to do what they do really well, which is engage with our young people, our children, our families, because they're from the same communities, they live many similar experiences and are able to connect with our population in a different way than maybe the majority of our teaching staff, right? So I think for me, it was how do we supplement what's happening in the school day with robust before school, after school, and summer learning opportunities? And how do we not just open up campuses for families and students beyond the school day, but also bring ourselves out of our district offices and out of our classrooms or our programs and into community as well. So it became a two-way street. It's terrific work and sharing sharing what you're doing and developing language for people to participate in that conversation is really critical as well. And I, th- I think that that notion of, of child in center is obviously absolutely important, but you also said to create enough space around each child to let their voice develop and have a chance to be heard. And and also another point that I, I thought was really important that she made was, you know, we're not saying that every ch- every teacher suddenly has to be the social worker, but understand that the stage or the bridge or the, sp- the platform has to be wide enough and connect out into the community, into the social, and take into account all of the things that a child brings with them when they do show up to school. Are my takeaways okay on that? Absolutely. And I think that the other piece that organically happens when you allow young people to create that transformative space is then young people and communities start holding us accountable in different ways, right? So I think of a group of young women that I worked with on a high school campus. So these young women were amazing. They were in one of our um, high-performing school programs. Um, These are young, young girls of color, predominantly Black girls. And in the midst of their, you know, extremely high GPAs and powerful academic success, they also had experienced some pretty significant traumas in their lives, both in their, in their, in their communities, in their homes, but I think most importantly in their schools. And I think those were the pieces that Young shined a light for us on was that they had enough sort of in their emotional tank, if you will, to get through their their day and perform academically. However, when they stepped foot on their cam- on our on our campuses and were further marginalized or discriminated against, then the learning or the the process of learning became too much for them. Then they began to disengage, then they began to sometimes act out. So it wasn't that they were experiencing trauma in their homes and communities and we could somehow say, you know, oh, poor, poor little, for example, poor little black girls dealing with all of this experience. We needed to shift what we were doing on our campuses because we were further traumatizing them. And I think that allowing them space to really talk about what those issues looked like for them in our schools, forcing us to think about things like restorative practices, social emotional learning, not where we necessarily quote unquote train up a child, really worked on training up ourselves as adults. (laughs) 
to be much more intentional about how we interacted with them, address some of our own biases about their experiences, deal with our adultism, right? That that sort of sense that we as adults know what's best for you. (laughs) They really forced us to do that. And that was, I think, hard work. And that was, I think, what I appreciate most about the season that we were in was that Jonathan allowed us to do that hard work. And, and sometimes that meant he needed to do that hard work as, the, as a leader as well. Young people pushed for changes in discipline policies. They pushed for ethnic studies and said that they felt like our, our curricula wasn't culturally relevant. I mean, they, they pushed us. Sometimes I got called into bosses' offices and, and admonished about, Stacy, what are you doing? Your youth are going rogue. oh no (laughs) you know us knowing that we were going to take risks for kids and sort of youth going rogue is the byproduct of us allowing young people the space to really express their voice and then turn their critique on us as well and us being willing to hear that and amend our not just programming because I think that that part can be easy, but our policies as well, and force us to do do some things differently. And I think that was I think when I when I think whole child, I think about the power of our young people going rogue <laughs> in, <laughs> right. in that right, like finding their themselves because they already. Have voice, I can create a space and they will be transformative, right? I can bring in community partners and mentors and individuals that they can relate to. And the young people then will begin to take charge and allow us to do that deep learning about our own practices. When you look back, was there a, you know, a particular story, a particular, particular moment when you could see that adjusting the climate to a more whole child approach and belief system that you saw some transformation happening? Did you see a moment where you said, wow, okay, this this is working? Yeah, so, so many moments, so many moments. I think one that stands out for me is the work that, and Jonathan talks about this in the book a little bit, of, of men's men's leadership academy, we 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 subsequently started a women's leadership academy as well, which we in, intended to be safe place for students of all genders, right? Mm-hmm. And so when Jonathan first brought men's leadership academy to Sacramento, it was with the intention to provide safe space for boys of color um, at a time when you know for, folks were just starting to have conversations about equity in the in the lens of the achievement gap, right? So we were just starting to cre- be creative in how we addressed the needs of students of color throughout California. And so one of the things that Jonathan, you know, and I, I don't even know if he knew at the time the power of what was going to come to fruition, but we were really adamant that we didn't want Men's Leadership Academy to be a space for black and brown boys in a, in a portable somewhere where they were getting, you know, some type of quote unquote alternative supports or 
alternative interventions. We didn't want this to be an opportunity class, right? We didn't want this to be a space where we further marginalize young men of color. And so we rooted and, and grounded Men's Leadership Academy in the work of Dr. Sean Ginwright, who is at San Francisco State, who, who whose framework is social justice youth development. And so he talks about when you allow young people space to fight for social justice, you know, all of these other things can fall into place, right? Youth become agents of change. Their identity is central. All of the things we've, we've sort of talked about. And so MLA started this kind of safe place for mentoring for young men to see other men of color that look like them, to engage with other men throughout the district and throughout the neighborhood. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to hear that it it is sustainable, that it wasn't just, oh, well, let's try it. it. It worked that summer and then you move on. You know, from your perspective, you know, how, how critical is it that you think that we keep on trying? How important is it as a nation that we embrace this belief system? Well, I think it's imperative, right? I think that when we look at and and my you know my own learning has evolved, my focus areas have evolved over the years. And so when I look at for me the students that have been most marginalized by our educational system, right? Students of color, low-income students, newcomer students from varying countries. When I think about how we've not as a as a as a nation really centered our educational transformation in their experiences. And yet we look at things like the prison pipeline, disproportionality in suspensions, um, disproportionality in academic achievement. I, I think we, we look at the economic impacts of not doing this work right and the impact on lives and communities of not providing opportunities for young people to really learn. Um, I, I think that we're we as a nation will I mean we'll we'll pay for that we'll pay for that on an international scale. Our yeah. children won't be ready, right, right. across the board. Um, and I'm doing you know most of my work over the last few years has been targeted specifically on working with students of color, but I'm doing more racial equity work in non-communities of color as well, and realizing how important. It is for white communities and white teachers and white students to also benefit from conversations around cultural sensitivity and social emotional learning and being prepared for the next level as socially conscious and aware individuals. And I, I think that, that across the board, I think that it, it's easy to say equity issues are related to communities of color, right? And that mm-hmm. equity issues are only a concern of urban schools. But as I do more and more work around the state in, in around the country in non-urban schools, I mean, our millennials are dealing with things that we never imagined as young people. They're exposed to things that we, that we, you know, may or may not have read newspapers about, right? <laughs> or, <laughs> yep. or, 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 you know, if we watch the news, we may have caught, but our young people are, you know, overwhelmed with information and them having space to process, them having space to consider what is my role in this world as I, as I grow 
as an adult, what is what is what is college and career ready, both academically, but then also social emotionally. Um, I see it now. I'm at the university in a in, in a in a new position. I've been teaching here for two years, part time, and now I'm here on campus full time. And I see the you know mental health needs of our freshmen and the 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 lack of readiness of so many of our of our high achieving young people haven't received enough space to really grapple with who am I and, and, and how do I engage in this next level learning. And I see the difference between many, many of our youth and then some of the youth that we've had an opportunity to work with that, you know, have, have learned these leadership skills and increased their emotional intelligence. And those are the ones that are, you know, coming to my office to yep. To check in and, <laughs> and talk right. outside of class, right? Because they've learned these different skills and they hold right. me accountable differently. We don't have a choice. As people are beginning to embrace and understand the development of the whole child, including the children who are at the center, the answers become clear. If we're cultivating communities of compassionate human beings who really understand what learning and development is about, then uh, clearly, we want each child to be able to navigate their learning journey and become the amazing, productive, compassionate human beings that we would like them to be. But they, they, will, they will also, because it is social, that they will look around and as co-researchers, understanding that they can make a difference, they will look around their community and say, who's left behind and who, who needs more help? It is critical work. Stacy, this is awesome. I could I could talk to you for an entire day, I am sure. And we're just scratching the surface, but as we're harvesting all of these insights from people, we're beginning to get a really a deeper and richer picture of what whole child is. You mentioning specific examples was terrific. I'm just wondering as we as we come in for a close, we are asking each guest that we talk to just to make sure is there two ways of looking at this. One is there might be people who are listening to this who have been working on whole child for a long time and they're just encouraged and they're cheering you on. Uh, there might be some people who this is pretty new to them. Even the term whole child might be new to them. Hopefully we've kept their attention today and they're beginning to think this is something I want to explore. Is there any advice that you would give them to continue to to dig in and, and learn more? Absolutely. One of the things that I did fairly, maybe maybe a couple of months into my new position as youth development director was one of our board members and I were working, well, a team of us were working with young people who'd been sexually exploited. And so we had some really high risk, really traumatized young people that are in our schools that we weren't necessarily serving. At, we, weren't, we weren't providing whole child supports or transformative spaces for them, right? And mm -hmm. so in order to think about what did that look like, my my colleague or, or friend and board member, Ellen Bell and I went to juvenile hall on Friday nights and began to spend time with young people, hearing from them what their educational journey had been like, the successes and the failures and the traumas that they had experienced within our school systems. And that I think, within my first few months of being youth development director, 
was also game changing for me in regards to realizing how quickly as administrators and leaders, quote unquote, we can become disconnected from those who we say we want to serve. Right. And so, you know, we can read all the things, all the books in the world, but getting outside of our offices and into communities, whether that's for me, that was you know, the most at risk youth, right? Like I, that was, that, that, that's where my heartbeat is because of some of my own personal experiences. I'm, I'm going to gravitate to those who are at greatest need, but for some, it may, it may be, you know, spending time in those expanded learning programs, spending time in those spaces where young people are and talking with them about what's working and what's not. That's where the learning is going to happen. And it needs to be a two-way street. We need to bring young people into our spaces, but we can't do that tokenizing them as the the one youth that we brought into a meeting, right? We have to right. do that in an equitable way. And then we also need to go where young people are because otherwise we're likely not to hear from those that whose voice could make the most impact. So I would say definitely do our research, but the research is is going to be most powerful when it's done listening to and alongside young people themselves. That's wonderful, Stacy. That is a great way to to wrap things up and really landing right there with um, the voice of the kids that we serve. So thank you so much for participating today in Mud Boots. Um, it was a terrific conversation. As as I've said, we we could talk. For a long time about this and hopefully there will be more opportunities to reconnect and and share more so just thank you thank you so much stacy for spending time with us today thank you for joining us on this week's episode of mud boots for more information about Mud Boots and other resources on whole child education, journey to www.wholechildchallenge.org. Keep those Mud Boots handy and join us on the next episode. IEL is dedicated to equipping leaders to better prepare children and youth for college, careers, and citizenship.